we have been talking in a series that we called The Comeback. We could call it whatever we want. Uh, but we're just talking about how after God's people were so far away from him that God couldn't even recognize them, he sent them away to teach them a lesson. And when they finally came to their senses, the prophet Daniel, who prayed three times a day, you want to get close to God, you know what you do? Every breakfast, every lunch, and every dinner time before you eat, Take two minutes and pray to God. Daniel had a habit, it said, of continually praying three times a day to God. And he's praying, but he's reading, and he's reading the book of Jeremiah. It just strikes me that a prophet who's speaking stuff that's being written and that we can read today is still just as much as you and I needing to be in God's word. And he reads Jeremiah, and we talked about this a few weeks back, where he sees that God made a promise that after 70 years they'd be able to come back to their home and start over again. And I don't, I, some, of, some of us in our life, we've, we've had a journey where we had like maybe a 10-year detour or a, a moment where we just got off track with Jesus and, and we're in the process of trying to find our way back with him. And God loves you and he wants to guide you back into the greatest moments you've ever had in your life, but you need to let him lead and you need to let him be Lord. And we know where we get, right, when we take the lead on these things. We end up in exile. We end up far away. And we talked about this so much, but uh, just to, to bring this to your remembrance here, you just got to think that little tiny box is Israel. It's so tiny in this gigantic world, but the, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah named this king by name hundreds of years before it ever happened. Listen, you don't like the things that the Bible teaches. Some of the things in the Bible that he teaches, I don't like. You know why? Because I would rather do things my way. But you can ignore and say, I don't like what God has to say, and why do I have to do it that way? Well, you know what? You know why? Because he's a God who talked about things hundreds of years before they ever happened, and they happened. If I have somebody that could tell me something uh, at, the, at the beginning of my life, and it happens, and he says, when you're 10, this is going to happen. When you're 20, this is going to happen. When you're 30, this is going to happen. And he names the name of the people, and all the things are going to happen. Don't you think that that person's worth listening to? Don't you think it's better that you stop taking your own advice and doing it your own way, and start taking that person's advice and doing it their way. And that's the Bible. You can ignore it and be upset with it and frustrated with it. But man, you can't ignore a God who says things today before they happen tomorrow. And it is indisputable. And he says, you people are going to go back. You're going to rebuild. And that's what the last few weeks that we've been talking about from the book of Ezra. And he sends them back. Now, here's the sad story that many of you, like me, could identify with. When you go back, things aren't really the way they used to be, are they? Maybe you once had this moment where it was, oh man, God moved and people prayed for you and, and you cried and, and you were feeling it and, and, and there was so much room of, and so many and so much and, and now you come back and when you start, it's this tiny little chunk and that's how it was for God's people. They had that tiny little yellow chunk. They used to own it all. And you know what? There's a song that people used to sing. I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. Like, I really think that some of us, we need to, we need to go back and, and take back what we have by inheritance through Jesus Christ. God's given us an inheritance that belongs to us, that he's given to us, and, and through prayer and through walking straight in a crooked world and in obedience to God, that's how we come into the fullness of what God has for us. But it always starts small. And that can be discouraging for you. And that's what happened with them. And you know what? The Persian king Cyrus, he delivers God's people from Babylon to Israel. God's people, then they get back to this little tiny chunk and they try to develop a place where they can serve God. The temple was gone. The altar was gone. And somebody, and I want to meet them, when I get to heaven, the person I want to meet, 
is the guy that picked up the first stone that put the altar back in place for the first time. I want to meet that person because I always have respect for somebody that says, I'll be the first to do it. I'm going to go for it. And then all of a sudden, a second and a third and a fourth. And the next thing you know, they've got an altar. Now it's like, okay, well, we've got a place where we can sacrifice and we can come before God. There might not be walls to this. There might not be... uh, uh, you know, lights in it. There might not be everything that we want, but goodness, we've got somewhere where we can start. And as soon as they do that, what happens? The enemies of God try to deceive and discourage his people. And we talked about this last week where if the devil can't lie to you and deceive you because you're a person of the truth and you're always taking what people say and comparing it with God's word, if he can't deceive you, he'll try to discourage you. He'll try to say, it'll never be different. It'll always be the same. He'll never change. She'll never change. You'll always be broke. You'll never get out of debt. You know what? They'll always hate you. They'll never forgive you. And he just speaks that death into your life and tries to discourage you. But if you're a person that is walking with Jesus, you know what? You're going to identify the lie. You're saying, you know what? You are, you are the father of all lies. But Jesus said, I'll know the truth and it'll set me free. You're a liar. And you know what? You're trying to discourage me, but I don't, I'm not going to buy any of that garbage. You know what? I may not be who I ought to be, but my goodness, I'm not who I used to be. And God's going to work in my life. And it might start out small and it might start out, you know what, a a little bit less than what I thought it was, but that's okay. God is the kind of God that makes things bigger and better and broader. And when we trust him, you know what, Satan, you you can't deceive me and you can't discourage me. And when he can't do that, then he's only left to do one more thing and that's to discredit you. Some of you in this room know what it's like when somebody declares war on your reputation, your intentions of your heart, who you are, what you think, what you say, what you mean. You ever get in that, you ever get in a disagreement with somebody and then you go up to them and they say, you said this, and you said, you know what? What I meant was this. No, you didn't. How do you get to tell me what I meant? Like, like the 10th gift of the Spirit is the discerning of thoughts and intentions. Like you can tell me. Like I'm sitting here. I'm in front of you. The words came out of my mouth. I'm trying to tell you what. It, you can't. And what the people who hated Israel, who were all around them, did is they said, we can't deceive them. We can't destroy them. We can't discourage them. Let's discredit them before the Persian king. And in that time, Cyrus was no longer king. There was a new king. And they sent a letter of lies to him. And there was enough truth in it that they could say, these people are rebellious and they're problematic. And I'm going to move this just a little bit. Sorry about that. And so they say this, you know what? We're going to demand that they stop worshiping their God. And for some of us in our life, some of us have had a season where We just stopped. And it was just silent. And we said, well, you know, I get that, but let me try and work it out. And and then all of a sudden, we we come to our right mind, and we're like, I need to make it back to God. And when you make it back, it's small, it's that. But But the enemy does not want you to build a place of worship in your life. So what God does in this time of discouragement, in this time where the demand was set, do not serve your God, do not build a temple, This is where God sends two prophets to the people of Israel. One of them was named Haggai, and the other one was named Zechariah. And he sent them to deliver God's word so that he could put a determination in his people. And my hope here this morning is this, is that we would gain the same strength and encouragement in our life that these people needed, that maybe you need. Maybe there's some dust collecting on certain areas of your life that should be 
should be polished. Maybe there's some things that God wants to do through your life, but it's delayed and it's derailed and it's discouraged. God sends prophets in seasons in our life to speak into us. Now, let me just make this very clear, biblically, what a prophet is and what a prophet isn't. And I know a little bit about this because I've studied this for a long period of time. We have lots of people that will say, I need a word from a prophet. You know what? The book of Isaiah, Isaiah names King Cyrus by name. He foretells the future. There are times in your life, there are times in God's word where the prophets spoke into the future. Yes. But that is a very small portion of what they did. That is called foretelling. And what God said to his people is, is, I'm the God that can tell the future, but don't you dare go to a palm reader. Don't you dare go to a fortune teller. Don't you dare go to tarot cards. Don't you dare go to fortune cookies, right? Open up a fortune cookie. Today is going to be a good day. Or you are a beautiful person. You know, like you can just make that stick on anybody. And then you read the horoscope, right? Libras are temperamental. Everybody's temperamental. (laughs) Give me a break. We serve a God who knows the future, but you know what the problem is, is sometimes we're so obsessed with the future, we don't get busy with what needs to be dealt with in the present. And so we never realize in our life what we should be building in the present because we're so obsessed with the future. And we're just like, please, just somebody send, send a prophet that will, that will just like do this. And there are moments where a prophet does that. But there are a lot of people that walk around and they throw the title prophet all over the place. You know what I love and respect about the prophet Amos? He says this, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but the Lord had called me to prophesy. If somebody wears that title prophet stamped all over them on their business card and all that, I got problems with you right now because you, you are going out of your way. Listen, you don't have to tell somebody you got something when you got it. Everybody, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to broadcast that. And you got a lot of pride walking around with that title like this gives you validity. Show me to money show me you've got what God needs for his people don't don't so many times people do that I'm a prophet and I'm just in some countries they walk around and it's like they're, they're they have bottles of water for the minister of God and they're like carrying it around they're like they're following him around in a circle and and it's like ridiculous you know what Jesus was he was a servant so I'm always apprehensive when somebody throws that title prophet too high and hard but there are prophets and most of what the prophets would do is what's called forth-telling. And it works like this. They're specialists. They would, they would look to God in prayer. They would look to God's word in prayer and thought. And then they would look at God's people and would see the machine's broken and it needs to be fixed. And God just told me how to do it. And most of the time what they come in is, is they come in with God's word God's word, and then they tell you, this is what God's word says. This is what's going on in your life. I think it's time that you dealt with this problem and let God change you. Do you see how that works? See how that works? That's a fourth telling of God's word. Most of the time, this is what the prophets will do. And if you have a gift of prophecy or prophet bishop so-and-so has that, they don't need to broadcast that. They need to do it. Let me tell you what, there was a season where people come up to me and say, this person said I need to marry that person. Red flag. You know what the prophetic word should do? It should confirm for you what God already has been speaking to you. That's most of the time what the prophets did. They pointed to the word of God and said, you know this, you got this, you see this. Now do it. 
And so I just say that just sideways because I never know what voices you have in your life. You know, they used to give out these things called tape cassettes and pastors used to say, man, they got a tapeworm in them. They're letting tapes play into their life. Now it's like podcast virus, right? Where you can listen to everyone, anything, anytime, anywhere. You know what? God has said everything. I'm looking for a Bible and I forgot one, Pastor Dylan. Help me out, man. Help me out. Listen, God has said everything he will ever need to say, and it is found in this book. And if you're saying to yourself right now, I need to hear from God. I need God's voice in my life. I don't hear it the way I do. You don't need somebody to come up with you and say, thus says the Lord. Although that is precious when it happens and God does it, you, you need to know that this book is filled with every good and precious promise. Read the word. Let God speak prophetically in your life. And this is what these prophets did. And so in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, let me read this for you. They're the specialists that God send in, sends in. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Adodo, prophesied to the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets were with them supporting them. God sent these two men with words from God, with words from God's word to encourage the people in the work that needed to be done because they were discouraged. They were surrounded by enemies. The enemy was trying to deceive them. The enemy was trying to discourage them. The enemy had successfully totally discredited them and all work on God's temple stopped. And not to rush quickly to the spiritualization to this, but the Bible says this, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit dwells within you? Don't you know that God doesn't live in buildings like this anymore? We could burn this to the ground. God lives in here, in your life. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit and God wants to work in your life and God has some things he needs to build and God wants to fill your life. But these prophets step in and they say, God wants to do something and we need to get to a place, but there are some problems and we need to address them. And that's how God works. And if you'll grab a Bible, I want you to see this for yourself. You can grab it from your phone if you want. I'm going to open up my phone. And I'm going to read, but I'm also going to show you this morning. I'll hold on to this, thanks. From God's word, what one of the messages of this prophet, this is coming from Zechariah. Here's the cool and difference between Zechariah and Haggai. Zechariah was, was the guy who he would go to sleep or maybe he was just sitting around in prayer and God would give him imagery. God would give him a vision. God would put an image in his mind, maybe a dream. I don't know how it all worked, but he would see these pictures. And this is exactly the picture that he sees. He sees this guy, Joshua, who is the high priest over a temple that isn't even built, and he sees him in filthy priestly clothes, completely dirty. Do you know how hard it was for me to get this guy to wear this dirty clothes? Look how dirty this is. That's filthy. This is the cleanest guy I know, man. He's squeaky clean, so he, you know he loves the Lord and he loves me for doing this, so thank you, Kevin. Thank you. But let's turn here, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Then he, showed me the, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan stood at his right hand to accuse him. Isn't that the way it works? Devil always shows up to tell you what, what, what can't happen. 
So he's at his right hand, standing to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? He's giving a picture. He's saying, the devil's sitting there saying, he's worthless, he's garbage, he's trash. He's no better than me. The devil's trying to use the priest as an exa his example. I can get these people to be so filthy and so far from you, you should throw them away. Don't let them build the God house of God. He's not worthy. He's not righteous. He's not holy. And, and God, God turns around, the angel of the Lord looks at him and says, shut your mouth. This is my child. This is like a stick that was in a fire that I didn't want to burn, and it was catching on fire, and I reached in the flames and pulled it out and blew it out and saved it. How many of you know what that's like? You were burning by up in complete total destruction and God reached in the fire and pulled you out and saved you from getting completely consumed and destroyed I love it God rebukes our enemies now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments and the angel said to those who were standing before him remove the filthy garments from him and to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments, pure clothing. And he said, Then I said, Now here's the interesting thing. The angel's saying all this stuff. The prophet Zechariah is seeing this, and then all of a sudden he can't contain himself. This is going to be important later. He's like, I can't, I can't just keep quiet. He, go, he says this thing. He says, Give him a new turban too. Right? You ever see somebody that's experiencing a win and then you're like, double down on it! Yeah. Take curtain three! <laughs> that's an old game show reference. but And the prophet screams out, put a new turban on him, please. Please. Behold, I have taken away your iniquity. I will clothe you with pure clothing. Put a new turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by him. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, oh my goodness, how many of you have ever had somebody try to speak encouragement to you and it's just rolling off of you because you're so deeply discouraged? It's like it can't help you. And God goes out of his way and he looks at him and he says, Joshua, I want you to listen. And then he's like, okay, no, no, no. You, I want to assure you of something here. Don't just listen with your ears, listen with your heart. And he said this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule over my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you access to those among me here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray one last time. Help what you want to be said to be sown deep into the lives of people and encourage them. And what is the voice of man would fall by the wayside. But I pray that you would be heard here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, my message this morning, if I had a title for it, I'd say this, since we're going with the fighter theme, it's this, it's time to hit the showers. Time to hit the showers. After you fight, after you work out, if you just sit around, you start to ripen, right? Anybody got a friend like that? Remember that Sure commercial? <laughs> I love that one. Sometimes you just got to do a sniff check and make sure like everything's okay. But there are times where it's like, 
it's, it's time to hit the showers, man. It's, it, it's time. And that's what these prophets did. They said, before we can talk about everything that God wants to do and everything God can do through your life and everything God made you for and all those promises, before we get anywhere else, bro, we need to start with first things first. Sister, we need to go to the shower because you're not clean. You're not clean. We need to go to the showers. You're not clean. And here's what I would say to you right from the beginning here this morning is this, that even God's children need a shower. For those of you filling in the blanks, this is pretty much all I'll give you from time to time is that fill in, but, but listen to this. Even God's children need a shower. I never met Billy Graham personally. I was like maybe 50 feet away from him, so I can't like say I know him. His signature is on my, my graduation certificate from Gordon-Conwell. We lived in a, a building that him and his wife paid for called uh, Be uh, Bell Hall, which was his wife's maiden name. And he has said a lot of things that a lot of people have been changed with forever, the most powerful evangelist in, in history, most likely. Uh, right up there with Reinhard Bunke and, and uh, D.L. Moody. Billy Graham was the guy that lived a godly life and finished holy, right? That I can respect. It can be done. But his wife said something that always impacted me. Said this, even God's children, even God has problems with his children. Even God has problems with his kids. Um, there's nobody that's perfect. And if even God's children, God can have problems with them, it also means that just as the world needs to be cleansed by Christ, so do God's people. Even God's children need to take a shower. They need to be cleansed. We need God to help us with holiness. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Bible says in Ezra, in that verse that we just read, that God didn't just send one prophet, but he sent two. And if you look at these two, it's almost like, you guys remember before there was MMA fighting, there was WWE wrestling, and it was always tag team stuff, and you'd have two guys on one side, two guys on the other, but only one of each side could be at the same time. And then when it was time to switch off, they'd high five, right? They'd smack, and then you get out of the ring, and your guy gets in the ring. I've got a friend, he's a, he, he's a dwarf, he's a midget, and he does midget wrestling. His name's Short Sleeve Samson. Like, I may be small, but I'm strong like Samson, right? And so they'd get in there, and they'd do this. These are what those two prophets are. They're working together. They're tag teaming together. No sooner does, does Zachariah speak this vision then all of a sudden the prophet Haggai comes in how many of you have noticed like there are certain styles of communication that are more favorable to you there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that and that God is a God of variety Zechariah was really really unique in that he'd see a vision and God would tell him what it means and then he'd tell the people but Haggai is my kind of guy Haggai was the kind of guy that said let's talk about a bible verse and he'd open up to it he says, let me, let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. And then all of a sudden, after everybody was saying, are you tracking me? Are you tracking me? He'd flip it, and then he'd say, this is your situation. Did you have one of those friends who was speaking into your life, and they're talking to you, and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then they walk away, and you're like, oh, wow, I just got hit. And I didn't even notice that. That's Haggai. Watch this. I know we're in Zechariah chapter 3, but turn real quick to Haggai chapter Haggai chapter 2. Prophet Haggai chapter 2. We'll come back to Zechariah, but here's where they tag off. And Zechariah says, I don't think these people get 
what God's trying to say. Let me help them. So chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 10 through 14, and I'm going to explain this. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of like in school, you know how you put your thinking caps on? This is a very smart community here. We have people that are, that are smart and that they have education. We have people in here that are smart and that you speak multiple languages. And then we have the greatest, wisest people among us, those that are street smart. And that's seriously smart, right? So we've got it all in this place, but all of you are smart people. Chapter 2, verse 10. Haggai, we'll walk through this because it's going to take you thinking, so be patient with me. He gives the book, he gives dates. By the way, most of the stuff that we know and we can date in the prophets are because of these guys in this time. They, they were meticulous with their dating. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So now he's coming in and all of the people are there and he targets the people of God, and he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches the fold, uh, with the fold of his garment bread or stew or wine or oil or kinds of food, does it make that stuff holy because he touched it? And the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai asked this question. He says this, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And the priest said, it does become unclean. Now, look at me here real quick. It's going to take some explaining because it's almost like somebody just talked and used million-dollar priestly words and we don't know what's going on. Let's Here's what would happen. In the Old Testament, before there were plates, there were the fold of your garment. So the priests would offer up the sacrifice for your sins, for your closeness to God, for your fellowship with God. And then they were allowed a chunk of it. And they would take that chunk and instead of putting it on a plate, they'd put it in the fold of their garment. Gross. I don't know how they did that before there were washing machines, but they did it. And then they would eat it. But what they recognized was from some verses in the Old Testament that are there for you to look later on is that when that happened, you and your, you became holy because you came in contact with the holy sacrifice. So... Then they ask the question, okay, you know that you're holy priests. You know that this is how it works. When you, and can I just put it to us? When we come in contact with Jesus and we come in contact with the forgiveness that he offers through the cross, we are clean. We are free. I don't care how you feel. God says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And this is us. We have that contact with that sacrifice of Jesus. But then the, they ask the priestly question. They say, now if he tries to touch this and that or your dirty plates or your neighbor, can you spread that holiness? And the priests are like, we know this answer, definitely not. Now track with me. We know that when you come in direct contact with God, with his holy offering, with his sacrifice, you become holy, but you can't spread the holiness. Now he asks another question. If you touch a dead body and become unclean from that, which it was you became ritually unclean and had to go through a process of purification in order to be holy and clean again, if you have contact with a dead body, are you, are you unclean? Yes. Now, here's the other question. If I touch my plates, my friend, my, my stuff, do I spread that unholiness? And the priests say, this is a no-brainer. Of course you do. Now, watch this. There's a thing out there called the coronavirus. All week, we've been singing, my corona. All right, so that's a generational thing. And I want you to know that I'm prepared for it because I have some hand sanitizer. And I'm good with this. But I would say right at this point, I could illustrate this for a thousand different ways to you. But I want you to see how something spreads. Let's think coronavirus. Instead of us shaking hands and really passing the coronavirus through this room, 
here's what I want to do. I'm going to have my man Kevin go up and wave at one person in each section. Once he waves at you, it is your job to keep finding somebody and waving at them. And once you get waved at, you turn around and you wave at the next person. And I want to see how long it takes for every single one of you in this room to be waved at. Are you ready? We're going to do the wave, except we're going to do it like this. So once you get waved at, you have to look and make eye contact with somebody, wave at them, but keep finding people nonstop. You keep finding people. They say that you can pass this to 5, 10, 15, 20. Don't make handshakes with them. You don't want to pass the coronavirus. Are you ready? Okay, real quick. Good. You got one there. You got one there. Now, everybody, keep waving. Once you get waved at, you keep waving and finding people until it stops. Keep going. If you have a friend that's trying to get out of this, you have permission to slap them in the name of the Lord. This church is great. The pastor says you can slap people. Keep waving. If you got waved at and you, you just keep waving until it's like you get everybody infected. Right? If you have been, if you got waved at, stand to your feet right now. One, two, three, go. Boom. If you're not standing and you didn't get waved at, somebody turn and wave at them real quick if you would. Now, if you can't stand up, don't, because, it, you know, there's different reasons, medical reasons, whatever. I want you to notice something here. This is the point. The same thing with a virus, the same thing with holiness. Holiness can only be achieved by one degree connection with God. You can't spread it. But sin spreads like a virus. And look how quickly it spread through this room. You can sit down. No, you can't sit down. You've got to stay here all week. Look at this. Let me read. Now, you've heard this. Now, let me read it one more time. And now you can understand better what he's trying to say. And this is what I love about, about Haggai. He's that kind of guy that says, let's look at the word. Let me ask you some questions. Let's look at the word. Let me ask you questions. And then all of a sudden, he gets your chin up and he goes, Pff. he goes, that's you, dummy. Listen to this. He says this. Haggai the prophet, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with the fold bread or stew or wine or other kinds of things, does it become holy? Can he spread the holiness? The priest answered and said, no. And then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, do they become unclean? They said, Yes, what? They, it does become unclean. And then here's where he gets their chin and he throws the blow and he says this. So it is with this people and this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work that their hands touch, everything they do is defiled. In other words, they have a disease called sin and they're spreading it like crazy. Zechariah says, my people want to serve me, but they can't in this condition. And they're spreading that condition everywhere and it needs to stop. Now you could throw all kinds of sins in there that we could talk about and we could think about. But, but what they're trying to help God's people see is, is that even God's children need a shower. And I'd say to you guys here this morning, it's, it's long overdue. It's time to stop the spread of defilement. But here's the problem. Why you're trying to get yourself right with God. Satan is classically Satan. And he will tell you straight up. You stink. 
Oops, sorry, I jumped on. There you go. We got a clicker guy up there? Awesome. All right, check this out. Satan is going to tell you you stink. Now look at this, Zechariah, back to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Satan was standing at the right hand of, of the priest to accuse him. He was standing right there. That should be no surprise to you. In fact, Revelation 12.1 says this. The accuser accuses them day and night before God. Hell wants to discredit you perpetually. He wants to say, you're filthy. You're, they're, they're before. Satan is the original Captain Obvious. He sits there and he looks at you in your filthy condition. And he looks at you in your, in your state. And he says, you're a pig. You're disgusting. You, you're, you're so far from God. There's, you can never clean yourself up. Look at you. You... Man, if people knew this about you, nobody would be able to accept you, forgive you. I don't even think God would even forgive you. How many of you ever had that moment where in your deep, dark moment where you failed God and you're trying to find your way back to him, Satan just steps in and says, it'll never be different. It'll never change. She'll never move. He'll never become who you need him to be. You'll never pay off the debt. You'll never get away with this guilt. You'll, you'll be destroyed from this. You'll never come back. It should be no surprise that when we're in heaven and in this image in this vision that it's not Jesus at his right hand it's Satan at his right hand telling him that everything's wrong he is the original captain obvious and he wants to discredit you and he wants to discourage you look at the book of Job you know what some of us have this situation in our life where when anything ever goes wrong we look up and God would say so what did I make you upset what did I do for you to do this to me that isn't what's going on in the book of Job it says that Satan went up to God and said I will make this guy who says he loves you hate you because he only loves you because of what you do for him. He only loves you because of the problems you solve for him. He only loves you because of the blessings that are there. You know what? God says this. You have no idea what's inside of Job, but I do. Let loose on him. Just don't kill him. And problem after problem after problem when it rains it pours listen I don't care how high you jump when the music's going and how it is what happens when God strips away your reputation and your title what happens when God strips away your authority and your power what happens when God empties your bank account and all that do you blame God for that or could it be behind the scenes that Satan's sitting right next to you saying I'm going to make this guy an example God he's in your image and you want him to be with you but I'm going to show you that he's a filthy pig he has no right to be with you he'll never be different he'll always be the same he's never going to make it he can't get clean what's wrong with you and then we start listening to ourselves and we think that it's us and it's really hell and we're like what's wrong with me I'll never get over this I'll never find forgiveness and we get trapped in the lie of deception listen Satan wants to make you his example but Jesus wants to make you Jesus's example he wants to forgive you he wants to show you that you may feel like you're beyond hope but you're not beyond him that you'll never be good enough. That you'll never be righteous enough. I love it. Somebody said this once. They said, when Satan tries to remind you of your past, please turn around to Revelation 2, 2010 and remind him of his future. The devil who has deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire where there will be torment, torment, tormenting day and night forever and ever and ever. And let me tell you something. The reason why he wants you not to tap into the grace and the glory and the gift of God's forgiveness is because he wants company in that lake of fire because he cannot get the one thing that any single person drawing breath in this room can, forgiveness. Holiness, change. He will never have that. And he is on a mission to make sure that you never get it. And so he accuses you before God constantly. 
And when that's going on and it's happening, you know what God does? Comes into the devil and goes, shut up. That's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my, that's my, that's my kid. You might say to yourself, like I did years and years in the Catholic Church, when somebody would come up to me or to my father or anyone that I know, they would say, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe that, the, that through the cross there's power to forgive you of sin? I would say, yes. And then this question would happen, and some of you will be able to answer this if I put it in a fill in the blank. Do you think that God will let you in heaven? And everybody would always answer, I hope so. I hope so. I hear some former Catholics laughing out there and some present Catholics. There are no such thing. You know what the word Catholic means? Universal church. So if you're here today and you're a part of the church, you're a part of the universal church and Jesus loves you. And I really only hope so. You know what? I love a tiny little letter, which is one of the last books in the Bible, 1 John. John says, I understand you might have that kind of thinking. So he writes in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. How many of you here believe Jesus is the Son of God here this morning? He's writing this to you. He says, I need you to get this because Satan's going to be at your right hand accusing you that you might know that you have eternal life. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. If you have asked Jesus, if you come before Jesus and you say, I'm a sinner, you're a savior, you died on the cross, that should be me. Please forgive me of my sins. God says, you're clean, you're free. I forgive you, period. That's it. It's done. How do you, you, he writes these things to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. But then he goes a little bit further and I'm so glad he did. Because if you're anything like me when it comes to legalism, I don't, care. I don't care how bad you are. We could take the worst person in the world and put them in the lowest pit. And I don't care how good you think you are. We could take the nicest person in this room and put them on top of Mount Everest. And you can say that that person up there is so much higher than that person down there. You ever do this with your sins, right? Like, boy, I'm not like that person. It's not like, it's not like I'm running around killing people or nothing like that. Don't worry, we got some in our church. They, they're definitely there, right? And so I'm just kidding. So then, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> and then you got this person that's way up here and you can sit there all day and that person can brag and that one, that one can walk. And, and everybody could be like, oh, oh, and then God in his righteousness says, do you know what it's going to take for you to get to heaven? Which one of you can touch a star? There is, they're as far from the stars can be. It is impossible. It's out of reach. They can't do it. And what makes you think that you can achieve righteousness through, through your efforts? You can't. You and I do not have what it takes to be holy. And this is the tension of Christianity and the, the, the effort of Satan, why he sits next to you and says, that's right, you're filthy, you're dirty, you should just give up, you should just not even bother trying because you're never gonna be good enough. And you look at yourself and you're like, there's no way I could ever wash this out. Yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe I shouldn't go to church. Honey, give me the remote control, click, you know? I mean, like, like that's how he works. That's how he works. Satan says, you stink. Listen, even God's children need a shower. And although Satan will say to you, you stink, and people will say to you, you stink, and you in your lowest moment will say to yourself, you stink, even though you say, it stinks, that stinks, that stinks, God says, no problem, I'll clean you. I'll clean you. Satan says, you stink, but God says, I'll clean you. Listen, in boxing, they have a phrase where they say, he's all washed up. You know what that meant? 
He was in this match and he lost. He went to the showers. He cleaned himself up, but he's all washed up. He's never going to get dirty again because he's not going to fight. He's a loser. God looks at you and says, you're not all washed up. I'm going to wash you up. You have a second and a third chance, a fourth and a fifth. But you don't understand how many times I fail God, how many times I've done wrong. You know what God says? You know what? How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against you? Seven times, Lord? No, 70 times seven. There are more forgivenesses in Jesus than there are forgivenesses that you'll need. Satan says, you stink. God says, I'll clean you. I'll wash you up. And in Zechariah, our book here, we're reading here. Chapter three, verse four. The angel said, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him said, behold, I will take away your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Here he is in heaven. It's hopeless. Hell's accusing him. He's embracing the fact this is true. This is where he is. And if you, listen, if you've been somebody that's come to church, but you've never been able to admit that this is you, you the, the cross means absolutely nothing for you. It is worthless. The cross only has effect in our life when we admit that we are sinners, that we deserve nothing except separation from God, that we were stained, that we'll never be clean enough. And that's when we turn to Christ and we say, oh God, I can't do this. I'll never be good enough. And he looks at you and he says this. He says, you don't have to be good enough. In fact, let me give you a wardrobe change. You take that thing off you, bro, because it's nasty. And he works and he leaves and he takes off the dirty clothes and he gives the priest a wardrobe change. That's nasty, isn't it? Watch this. You don't even know. Here, we'll, we'll dress you over here as quick as you can. Get this on. Here we go. Here it is. Face in front. Go for it. Now, check this out. Let's be honest. This is me. This is you. Unless you're willing to admit that you're sick, you'll never look for a cure. Unless you're willing to admit that you're a sinner, you'll never have access to a savior. Because you'll think you're good enough. And I've seen this in Bible college for years where I watch young people change their life and they get busy serving God and they think that they're higher up on the mountain now because they love God and they're serving him. Listen, well, there's going to be nobody in heaven saying, I made it. Praise God, I was faithful to you. The thief on the cross was next to Jesus. He lived a filthy life his entire life and in literally one sentence, remember me, Jesus. And he says, you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise, right? Here's the beautiful thing about forgiveness. Now, we understand it from Jesus, but let me help you understand it from the Old Testament. There's a celebration, the Day of Atonement. It's literally pronounced Yom Kippur, is how we would say it. How many of you have ever heard of that? Yom Kippur, right? It's not Yom Kippur. It's actually said like this, Yom Kippurim. It, Yom Kippur means the day of atonement, but that's wrong. It's not the day of atonement. It's actually Yom Kippur, Kippurim, the day of atonements. Get this. In other words, God said, as much and as many as the problems of sin that you have are as many of the forgivenesses that I can give. That's why it's written that way. 
It's the day of atonement. It's not the day of atonement. It's the day of atonement. It, man, if, if we have to go through everything in a line with Jesus, man, I'm going to hold you guys up for a very long time because there is just not even enough words in the English language and not enough time in the clock of a lifetime for me to go through and explain all the things that I wish God would grace over. And God says, you know what? We're just not going to do it that way. We're going to totally get rid of this altogether and I'm going to give you a fresh start, a new beginning. Listen, you to know God, we also are committed to find freedom. And that's why you need to get in a small group. That's why you need people in your life because the only way that we get to this place is when we help have help from other people. And when he's sitting there, this is the beautiful thing, is that that the, the next thing that happens is, is he not only has a wardrobe change, but he gets a change in his purpose. When God begins to finally have access to, to you and change you and forgive you, then all of a sudden he begins to retask you. Here's what it says, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 5. If you're looking in the Bible, if not, I'll just shout it out. Listen to this. And I said, now this is the prophet Zechariah. The angel said, get him new clothes. Now the prophet all of a sudden goes, give him a new turban. And I told you this would be important. Give him a new turban. We don't want that nasty one on your head again, right? They pull out a new turban. Now, this is all priest, priest and ease, right? Like, what in the world is this language? Like, what's a turban? What's the big deal? Give him a new turban. You have to understand Exodus chapter 28, 36 and 37. The high priest, in order for him to serve, he had to be holy. He had to be clean. But he also had to have a, a gold plate across his forehead and it read this, holy to the Lord. Now this is mind-blowing because this is, this is the beauty of Hebrew. And I get half of it wrong sometimes, Dave, but always keep me on track, please. Listen, I have a couple of friends in here that are really good with biblical languages and sometimes I'm like, man, but that preached so good, you know. But it doesn't say that. But this one I got down. The preposition to. We know what the word holy kind of means. And we know who the Lord is, right? But why does he say holy to the Lord? When it comes to holiness, you and I make the mistake to think that a holy person is somebody who separates themselves from things and separates themselves from people and separates themselves from places and separates themselves from stuff. And you know what? I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't hang with people who do. And we separate ourselves to separate ourselves. Holy, that word means to separate, literally. Separate yourself not from, that word literally means to, towards, for. Holiness is not what you separate yourself from because you'll never get far away. How, we're going to have to just leave the world if we're going to try and get away from everything, right? And how are you going to get away from yourself when you're not holy, right? But here's very important why the, why the priest had this over his head. Because holiness is not who you separate or what you separate yourself from. It's who you're always separating yourself for, Jesus. Who you're separating yourself to, the Lord. Who you're separating yourself for, his purpose, his glory, his honor. Listen, when Jesus really, really gets you to look honestly at yourself, and you make that connection with the, this is why Jesus died, not that he could re-wash this, but that he would totally get away from the whole thing all together because we'd never be good enough. And then the Bible says this, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. God doesn't see, God doesn't see you and your filth when he looks at you. He sees his son. He sees Jesus in you. And that is so important. Now here's, here's the kicker here. 
We always say this in this church, but it's never been more relevant, I think, now than, than ever before. <laughs> we, have, we have a phone crisis over there. By the way, we love you all when your phone rings in here and, and it gets out of control. I, I, it happens to me too, so don't worry about it. But look, look at me up here real quick. Listen to me. With all of my heart, it's never too late for you to be the person you were supposed to be. It's never too late for you to be the person you were supposed to be. It's never too late to be the person you were supposed to be. The past is over. The future isn't here. But the reason why it's called the present is because it's a gift because you don't know what, if you even have a future. The Bible says this, today's the day of salvation. When you hear the voice of the Lord in the wilderness as you did before, don't harden your hearts. Don't put it off. Don't push it off. Today is the day to get it right. You won't have tomorrow to do that. But here's the thing. is is that what hell does is Satan sits next to you and says, you better just try harder. Have you ever heard of backsliding? Okay, backsliding is this, is when the things you used to do that you knew God was, weren't, weren't holy and weren't pleasing to God, all of a sudden you mess up and, and you do them again. And you're like, I just feel so, ugh. And that's why we need God's grace because it wasn't your righteous robe that you were wearing. It's the one that he gave you. It's his righteousness. And he's, it's no problem. He just does a whistle and he says, wardrobe change. If you're coming before God broken and humble and honest, God's gonna say, you know what? It took me 10 plagues and 400 years to get my people free from Egypt. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you keep walking in grace and say, God, I'm not who I used to be, but I never want to be the person I was. Please keep me walking towards you. God will continually do a wardrobe change after wardrobe change. He'll say, hit the showers, hit the showers. And, and it's just a part of the process. But you'll get closer to who God wants you to be. It's never too late to be the person God called you to be. And I don't care if you're older and you feel like you don't have much time, and I don't care if you're younger because you may not have as much time as you think. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Zechariah chapter three, verse seven. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern over my house and have charge over my courts, and I will give you a place among those here. There's two types of law. This is really heavy, but you'll get this because we're smart. There's two types of law. There's an apodictic law. That's the kind of law that says absolutely, positively not. Ten commandments are that. You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not have any other gods except me. That's apodictic law. But there's another type of law that God gives called causistic law. And we know this because it's cause and effect. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. But causistic. If I do this... That's what's going to happen. And if I don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And you want to see an example of that, read Deuteronomy 27 and 28. But that's exactly the kind of law that's in here, cause and effect. God says, I'll clean you. I'll forgive you. I want to use you. But the time for you ignoring me and rolling in the mud needs to stop. And it's time that you start walking in holiness. Now, why do I talk about backsliding? Let me bring that around. Because there's something that most people never talk about. It's not written out clearly in the Bible, but it's there. There's another thing. It's called front sliding. That's exactly what was happening with the high priest and the devil. See, because when you set your heart to love and serve Jesus, and I have no doubt, if you're in here in this, this room here today, you're here because you want to 
get to know who God is and you want him to be more a part of your life, you, you, maybe, maybe you're in a backslidden state or you're just in a state where you're trying to do the right thing and you're, you, you're just getting dirty and you're forgetting that God's, God's all about wardrobe changes and showers. It's grace. Even God's children need a shower from time to time. But here's the other problem that we get trapped in. When you commit yourself to live for God and to love for God and to do for God and to be the way that God wants you to be, you also have a thing called front sliding. When you move forward in the right direction so fast that you trip over yourself and you fail God trying to do the right thing and you fall forward. I've fallen on my back and I've fallen on my face and although it, it hurts in different places, I've come to find that it all hurts the same just as bad. God's not looking for a performance of perfection from you. It's not perfection, it's what? What do we say in this church? It's not perfection, it's what? It's direction. Listen, God wants to give you a wardrobe change and he wants you going in the right direction and he knows. And we need to come to know that we're never gonna be good enough. You never were and you never will be. You miss the whole point of a savior. He wants to give you a wardrobe change. He wants to give you a shower, but he also wants you to know you may not be who you used to be, and you might not be who you're, you want to be, but all he's asking for you is to be, to be his. So say, oh God, let your grace be amazing in my life. I'm not who I want you to be, but help me, give me the grace. And it's in moments like that of weakness and humility that God says, I'm gonna send my power. I'm gonna send my love. I'm gonna send my grace. How many of you need grace this morning? How many of you need a robe change this morning? How many of you want to know that God not only loves you, he likes you, he's not only forgiven you, but he continually accepts you. He's the, the only one I know who looks past your fault, sees your need and loves you where you're at. If you want some of that this morning, stand to your feet, stand to your feet. And as the worship team plays here, here's what I'd like you to do across this room. We're gonna hit the showers. We're gonna hit the showers. This is gonna be a mass shower this morning here, but here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray a prayer with you. And if, if you're here this morning and, and you're like, I just need to talk to Jesus a little bit more, you're welcome to come up here to this front spot, kneel down, stand, whatever you do, and not have a vertical, a horizontal conversation with somebody, have a vertical conversation with God. But across this room, I wanna pray a prayer of grace for us this morning. And I'd ask you to join me in it today. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I will never be good enough. I'll never be strong enough. I will never be holy enough. Clothe me in Christ. Take my dirty robes and give me a clean one. Put a new turban on my head. I'm gonna be holy but I'm gonna be holy to you. I'm gonna be holy for you. And all of my holiness will be moving towards you. Help me just to be your child. Wash me in the blood of Christ and fill me with the power of your spirit. Father, you hear your people today. They not only want to be clean, but they want to be filled and they want to be used. There's work to be done, but you sent the prophets to help the people see before they get to work, they need to work on themselves. And Lord, we just admit to you today, we need your help. 
But when we admit that to you, heaven shows up on the spot. Some people in this room this morning need you to say to Satan, shut your mouth, the Lord rebuke you. God, we're not powerful enough for that. I pray you're, you're, you would send angels, you would send your power, your presence. Right now, I pray for somebody in this room that the, the devil is selling to them the world, you'll never change, you'll never get free, you'll never, ever, ever get out. That's a lie from Satan. Lord, right now, I pray for that person, you would send your son Jesus and drive back the darkness. The world is not better without them, the world is better with them in it. Father, for those of us that are discouraged because we've been trying to be holy and not realizing that we're holy because of you, but what you want is for us to be yours, to be towards you, to you, and for you. Help us to make us a people that love and live for you. And we might not get it perfect and we might not get it right, but God, we'll get back up. We'll let you give us a shower. We'll let you give us a wardrobe change. And we will do the right thing, not because we have to and not because we fear of being judged, but we'll do it because we're grateful, we're grateful. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. As the worship team plays, you're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to quietly slip out. You're even welcome to sit in your seat. But what you're not welcome to do here this morning is this. You're not, you're not welcome to leave with this in your life. But you can leave like that because God loves you. He is pleased with you and he has forgiven you. In Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you as you stay as you go.